0: In this episode... Did anyone still use swords in World War II?
1: What is the best song to play on the bagpipes to terrify my enemies?
0: And is it possible to become a millionaire with terrible singing? Welcome to another episode of Wiki.
1: A Wikipedia podcast
0: hosted by Rob and Orr. Your two favourite Irish yarn spinners. Each episode, one of us brings a Wikipedia article that the other has no knowledge of through which we explore the strange quirks and endearing language of humanity's greatest resource. So, Rob,
1: I am very excited about the one I have for you today.
0: Oh, Eeyore, you must tell me more.
1: Okay. You so, simply
0: must tell me more. I can't
1: wait. Are you familiar <laughs> with Jack Churchill? Ah! Oh, are you? Vaguely. Mad
0: Jack Churchill. <laughs> I, I, now, I've heard tell but I am very interested in learning more.
1: I would say that I, I wasn't entirely uninspired by Morris Wilson, so I'd, I'd love to tell you more about him. We'll start off with John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill, DSO and Bar MC and Bar. Who knows <laughs> so, what that sorry, means. Sorry, it's, sorry, It's a classic Wikipedia of giving all of these titles. He was, he, I, I can't even tell you. He was a British Army officer who fought in the Second World War with a longbow Bagpipes and a Scottish broadsword. <laughs> he fought with bagpipes Rob. In the Second World War. I thought my mum was the only person who considered bagpipes to be a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> what what does that mean? What what, what does that mean? <laughs> fighting Jack Churchill yep. and Mad Jack, he was known for the motto any officer who goes into action without a sword is improperly dressed. <laughs> Now, that kind of turns me off a bit. Well,
0: you know, I've heard snap your mottos. Yeah,
1: no, indeed. Churchill was born in Colombo, British Ceylon, which is now... Oh, I know this. Sri Lanka? Good man. Oh. His father was a district engineer in the civil service. Normal life. He was educated at Sandhurst and, and kicked off in the military. Sandhurst is
0: a well-esteemed military college, am I right?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah. It's, it's where you go. So he graduated from the Royal Military College in 1926, served in Burma with the Manchester Regiment. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed riding a motorbike while in Burma, this says. That's good to... Well, uh, classic well thanks. Wikipedia. I was wondering what he did. <laughs> so he enjoyed riding a motorbike while in Burma. <laughs> and that's thankfully, that's cited. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> Someone said, prove it. <laughs> so Churchill left the army in 1936 and worked as a newspaper editor in Nairobi, Kenya, and as a male model. He used <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he, used his, he, he used his archery and bagpipe talents to play a small role in 1924 film, The Thief of Baghdad also appeared in the 1938 film Yanka Oxford, which is one that definitely needs to go on our watch list. He took second place in a 1938 military piping competition. And in 1939, he represented Great Britain at the World Archery Championships in Oslo.
0: Right. Uh, I, I, just, I don't mean to, to go back, Eeyore, but uh, the male model,
1: uh, I, can we... So it does say unreliable source.
0: (laughs) Citation very much (laughs) needed on that one. Indeed.
1: Anyway, after all of that, I think he got positively tired of the real world and decided to join up again. He was reassigned to the Manchester Regiment, which was sent to France. In May 1940, Churchill and some of his men ambushed a German patrol near Lepinette. Churchill gave the signal to attack by raising his (laughs) broadsword. Churchill killed a German with his longbow after this action However, Churchill never said that his bow had been crushed by a lorry earlier in the campaign. Unclear.
0: Oh, so the implication is he said that he killed a German with his longbow, but it seems that his longbow had been crushed earlier? Yes. Is he
1: telling tales? It's unclear. After fighting in Dunkirk, (laughs) he, he volunteered for the commandos. Churchill was second in command of number three commando in Operation Archery. As the ramps fell on first landing of the craft, he leapt forward from his position, playing March of the Cameron Men on the bagpipes before throwing a grenade and charging into battle.
0: Oh, God.
1: The March of the Cameron Men? What's that? I'd be curious to hear how that goes. Can we splice that in? Yeah, yeah I think it- we can. So, you can imagine our man, Mr. Churchill. Mm playing the March of the Cameron Men, throwing a grenade, leaping forward. And for these actions at Dunkirk and Vagsoe, he received the military cross and bar. Now, What's the the bar, sorry? not, Not being called to bar? It's a thin bar attached to a military decoration. It most commonly indicates the operation. So oh. you'll get the cross, the military cross, and then the bar would have said Operation Archery. Oh, a literal bar. Oh, yeah, okay. it's like a bar on the medal. So, in July 1943, as commanding officer, he led two commandos from their landing site in Sicily with his trademark Scottish broadsword slung around his waist, a longbow and arrows around his neck, and bagpipes under his arm. A
0: broadsword is enormous, yeah, it's isn't It's isn't it? Now, is a broadsword different from a claymore?
1: I don't know. I thought a claymore was in modern warfare too. I thought it was the... Plant in Claymore. (laughs) (laughs) Safe what? Through the door. Anyway, regardless, (laughs) leading a commando, Churchill was ordered to capture a German observation post outside the town of Molino. With the help of a corporal, he infiltrated the town and captured a post, taking 42 prisoners, including a mortar squad. He commented that it was an image from the Napoleonic Wars. Churchill later walked back into town to retrieve his sword, which he'd lost in hand-to-hand combat with the German regiment. On his way there, he encountered a a disoriented American patrolman, mistakenly walking towards enemy lines. When the NCO in command of the patrol refused to turn around, Churchill told them that he was going his own way and he wouldn't come back for a bloody third time. (laughs) So... he. Clearly the man had a little bit of spice to him.
0: Well, yeah. How much of this is is primary source? So this this is is
1: primary source. It's primary sports. Yes, rounders. In May of 1944, he was ordered to raid the German island of Brac in the Adriatic Sea. Mm. He organized a motley army of 1,500 partisans, 43 commandos, and one troop. The landing was unopposed. But on seeing the gun emplacements from which they later encountered German fire, the partisans decided to defer the attack until the following day. Churchill's bagpipe signaled the remaining commandos to go into battle nonetheless. After being strafed by an RAF spitfire, he decided to withdraw and relaunch the next morning. Right. So clearly, all the punters that he got involved, all 1,500 of them, just took one look at the German guns and kind of had <laughs> like- enough. The, for- the following morning, and unfortunately this, this, this subsection is entitled Capture, Ah. The following morning, a flanking attack was launched by the commandos, with Churchill leading. The partisans remained in the landing area. (laughs) (laughs) Once once again, proving their worth. So he left without, he just ran forward? He just ran forward with his his 43 commandos. Only six managed to reach the objective. A mortar shell killed or wounded everyone but Churchill, who was playing, will ye no come back again on his pipes as the Germans advanced. He was knocked unconscious by grenades and captured out of the mistaken belief he held a direct relation to Winston Churchill. He was later flown to Berlin for interrogation and then transferred to Sachsenhausen concentration camp. Oh God! In September 1944, Churchill and three Royal Air Force officers, survivors of the Great Escape, and Major Johnny Dodge escaped the concentration camp using a tunnel dug by themselves in secret. I'm aware there there is a film, as far as I know. <laughs> Churchill, a Royal Air Force officer, Bertram James, attempted to walk to the Baltic coast. They were captured near the German coastal city of Rostock, a few kilometers away. And then in 1945, they were being transferred, being guarded by SS troops, but they ended up under fire, and Churchill escaped, walking 150 kilometers to Verona in Italy, where he met an American unarmed unit. Oh my God. 150 kilometers? Yeah. Then he somehow ended up in Burma, as the Pacific War was still on. Well, you know. (laughs) And by the time he'd reached India, Hiroshima and Nakasagi had been bombed, and the war ended. Churchill was said to be so unhappy with the sudden end of the war saying, if it wasn't for those damn yanks, we could have kept the war going another 10 years. Oh, for God's sake. Man seems to be a bit of a bit of an odd dude. Well,
0: so he, he's one of those who very much saw his destiny as being a, a part of the battlefield. Exactly. Who struggled to live with, live elsewhere.
1: Exactly. From a very young age, from joining up at Sandhurst, he became institutionalized and he he struggled to see anything else. Aside from the next title, Australia and surfing. (laughs) In his later years, (laughs) Churchill served as an instructor at the Land Air Warfare School in Australia, where he became a passionate devotee of the surfboard. (laughs) I think that's our winner for some <laughs> amazing <laughs> Wikipedia linguistic foible thereof. A passionate, passionate devotee of the surfing. <laughs> a, a passionate devotee of the surfboard. During his time back in Britain, after picking up the surfing skills, he worked a desk job in the army. So retirement... Churchill retired from the army in 1959. In his retirement, he continued his eccentricity. He startled train guards. Does it does it? Does it, does it hang on. Does it actually say
0: that he continued his eccentricity? He,
1: his eccentricity continued. <laughs> <laughs> he startled train guards and passengers by throwing his briefcase out the train window each day on the ride home. He later explained that he was tossing his case into his own back garden so he wouldn't need to carry it from the station. Mm -hmm. He also enjoyed sailing coal-fired ships on the Thames and playing with radio-controlled model warships.
0: I said at the start he had a lot to do to convince me, Eeyore. He's done very little. (laughs) I mean, we have, I mean, a a, a war, a warmonger who lamented the fact that millions of lives were saved. I don't know,
1: Rob. I I think, I think he had, I think he had hidden depths and, and I, I, I I can do a lot more to convince you. I can't do anything. The next, (laughs) Churchill died. I was going to say, how (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Churchill died on the 8th of March, 1996. Right before I was born, eh? Nineteen ninety six. They say one fire goes out and another another <laughs> begins.
0: <laughs> when God closed the door, he opens a window. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. What age was he when he died? Eighty nine.
0: God. Is this is it? I think it was I it think seemed, it seemed to, to gloss over quite a large so from so in fifty nine he was chucking his, his Halberton out of a train window.
1: And what what Yeah, there's it's basically he retired from the army in nineteen fifty nine. Right. And it's just 59 to 96. I refuse to believe that a man
0: of Mad Jack Church's reputation lived out his twilight years, just, you know, his guaranteed sun life over 50 plan and just potted <laughs> that. Yeah, about which in is garden.
1: interesting, right? Because he retired from the army at 53. And like, I mean, the military pension could have done well, him well. Well, yeah, I suppose. But like, you do goodbye like, all the
0: RC uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> warships. Well, this is it. He would. So he was throwing his briefcase out the window when he was retired, which implied that what was he doing? Why was he on the train every day? That's
0: a good point. Where was he going? To find a war to to war. Yeah, in, exactly. That's yeah. it. Could have kept it
1: going for ten years, Rob. No. Well, this is well, this is it. Did he marry? Did he have child? He did marry. Okay. So Churchill married Rosamond Margaret Denny, granddaughter of Sir Archibald Denny. Owner of the huge Clyde Shipbuilding Company. Thank you, Ikepibi. If I say so much. The most dignified moustache I've seen in a very long time. Oh. He married on the 8th of March, 1941. So maybe that was when he was at his desk. Did he also die on the 8th of March?
0: Wow. Did he forget his anniversary? You're completely right.
1: <laughs> he died. He got married on the 8th of March and died on the 8th of March. What does that tell you, folks, eh? <laughs> do <Don't laughs> Absolutely get married not. nothing. <laughs> They say great men. Shakespeare died on his birthday, and Jack Churchill died on his wedding anniversary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the measure of the man. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Rob. That was very interesting. Uh, if you were going out to war and you could play a song to rally the troops, what would you play?
1: That's an amazing question, E. Rob. Probably the Pirates of the Caribbean main theme. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but, uh, what about you? What are you playing? Why can't we be friends? Oh God! Why can't we be friends? <laughs> That's, that's the pacifist in you, Rob.
0: <laughs> I just think it would go a long way. Do you have an article for me today, Rob? I do, actually, Eeyore. Funny oh, you that's funny. It. Brilliant. <laughs> so tell me all. This particular article, Eeyore, was provided to me by my lovely partner, Rowan who is one of the chief researchers for wikid. We have a team of dedicated uh, wiki goblins who scour the wiki net. Oh, I'm sticking with it. It's a search for interesting articles. So thank you very much to uh, to Rome for this one.
1: Let's hope it's a good one.
0: Let's hope it's a good one
1: indeed. We'll fire her otherwise. No. We won't. Put her on All right. Eeyore. Yeah. Might I
0: ask you one simple question? Are you familiar with a lady named Florence Foster Jenkins? Of course I'm not, Rob. I'm Fantastic. Well, oh, brilliant. Lovely. <laughs> okay. Well, so... Uh, We previously looked at Mad Jack Churchill who was a man who was born to perhaps be in the army. We're now going to look at a lady who was born to be on the stage. So to read you the opening passage of her wikipedia article and i think it's quite appropriate because it sets out the stall very early and i would like you Eeyore, to keep a count as we go through of the number of disparaging comments either referenced or made directly by the wikipedia editor as we go towards towards ms jenkins okay okay so let's start us off i'll give you this one for free all All right, right go Florence Foster Jenkins was an American socialite and amateur soprano who became known and mocked (laughs) for her flamboyant performance costumes and notably poor singing ability. Oh my God. Stephen Pyle ranked her as the world's worst opera singer. No one before or since has succeeded in liberating themselves quite so completely from the shackles of musical notation. (laughs) This is the first line Dear Lord. She was an early, I'm reluctant to say an early kind of meme, but I have. So there you are. She was especially well known for her poor singing ability. And she managed to carve out a 50 plus year career on this fact. Oh, wow. So. uh,
1: Well, Britney Spears managed to do the same (laughs) thing.
0: (laughs) Stop. Despite, or perhaps because of, her technical incompetence, she became a prominent musical cult figure in New York City during the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So, another one for you. The poet William Meredith wrote that Jenkins' recital was never exactly an aesthetic experience, or only to the degree that an early Christian among the lions provided aesthetic experience. It was chiefly immolatory and Madam Jenkins was always eaten in the end
1: an early Christian amongst the lions now
0: Eeyore you tried to convince me of the merits of Mad Jack yeah I would also like to try and do the same for you we do have a little snippet of a performance from Miss Foster Jenkins oh I was
1: hoping you would say that (laughs)
0: staring rendition of Mozart's the magic flute there yeah I was you're listening say. to
1: classic fm
0: i'm my lean class <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah and that was oh, <laughs> florence foster jenkins
0: truly makes you sit back and appreciate the beauty of music <laughs> so what did you think of i writing? thought oh
1: well look look i thought it's it's not it's not going to put me in hysterics mm. you know i mean mm. people wouldn't bat an eyelid at that today uh, she was born
0: Uh, July 19th, 1868 in Wilkes Barre, Pennsylvania, the daughter of Charles Dorrance Foster, an attorney of a wealthy landowning Pennsylvania family. I I wish to give some gravity to this because despite her reputation as being a figure of mockery, there is a running theme of tragedy going throughout her life, right? So uh, her one sibling, a younger sister named Lillian, died at the age of eight, in 1883 of Diphtheria, okay? Okay. And and this is something that continues throughout her life. She had a lot of tragedy interwoven within her story, okay? At young age, she was a talented pianist and gave a recital at the White House during the administration of Rutherford B. Hayes.
1: Oh, wow. So she wasn't immediately known for her lackluster singing ability. She was a good pianist. No, yes, and there is a reason
0: that will come up shortly that might give you an idea as to what happened. Okay. Key here. In 1885, at the age of 17, Florence eloped with Frank Thornton Jenkins, a physician 16 years her senior. So she was 17, he was 33. Very fast, Rob. Thank you. The following year, after learning she had contracted syphilis from her husband,
1: she ended their relationship. How long was the contract? Sorry.
0: She ended their relationship (laughs) and reportedly never spoke to him again. This is a serious topic and we are treating it. This is meant to be the tragic portion of the episode.
1: All right. All right. All right. I'm I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. What happened to her? She, Uh, She got syphilis.
0: She contracted syphilis and she ended their relationship and reportedly never spoke to him again. An arm injury... Ended her aspirations as a pianist. Jenkins gave piano lessons in Philadelphia to support herself. But around 1900, she moved with her mother to New York City. Oh, with her mother. With her mother. In 1909, in her early 40s, Jenkins met a 33-year-old actor named St. Clair Bayfield. They began a vaguely defined cohabitation relationship that continued... A vaguely
1: defi- Well, we've yes. all had a vaguely defined cohabitation relationship. Well, indeed. I think are, that's... A m- conscious coupling.
0: Well, well like, yes. Uh, a situationship. Key here is that her father died later that year and she became the beneficiary of quite a sizable amount of money. Oh, really? So she resolved to resume her musical career as a singer with Bayfield as her manager. She began to take voice lessons and immersed herself in wealthy New York society, joining dozens of social clubs. Oh, wow. Who has the time? As the chairman of music for many of these organizations, she began producing lavish tableaux vivants, popular diversions in upper crust social circles of that era. Now, this is key. Jenkins began giving private vocal recitals in 1912, when she was 44 years old. Gosh. In 1917, she became founder and president soprano hostess of her own social organization, the Verdi Club, dedicated to fostering a love and patronage fostering. of... Fostering. Ah, ah! Something there. Its membership quickly swelled to over 400. 400 honorary members. 400, well, <laughs> <honorable>, yeah. <laughs> they, they tried quickly to swell Quickly swelled
1: to the entire population of the <laughs> United States.
0: <laughs> Three billion people joined <laughs> her social club. You're probably wondering, what was it that she used to draw in the crowds? According to published reviews and other contemporary accounts, uh, Jenkins acknowledged proficiency at the piano did not translate well to her singing. She is described as having great difficulty with such basic vocal skills as pitch, rhythm, and sustaining notes and phrases. In recordings, Mm. her accompanist, Cosme McMoon, which is a great name, by the way. (laughs) McMoon? McMoon. (laughs) Cosme McMoon. (laughs) Is that a real name? Cosme McMoon,
1: yeah. Surely that's a stage name.
0: To the McMoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, well, as I open... Cosme and Mick I'm greeted with two revelations one is that they were born McMunn so boo but also the opening line best known as the accompanist to notably tone deaf soprano
1: Florence (laughs) Foster Jenkins look Wikipedia is unilaterally going against this woman there is
0: really someone here who has set out to slander my good lady oh dear and I'm not having it anyway Her accompanist Cosme McMoon can be heard making adjustments to compensate for her constant tempo variations and rhythmic mistakes But there was little he could do to conceal (laughs) her inaccurate intonation Oh dear The constant question of whether Lady Florence, as she liked to be called Was she in on the joke or did she honestly believe that she had vocal talent remains a matter of debate? Essentially what happened was she would put on these shows where she would invite certain people from Upper Cross Society. She would go on stage and she would perform, yep. and people would, you know, be in uproar. People would be loving it. People would yeah. come from far and wide, right? And there is debate around whether she was totally in the dark about this as to whether she genuinely believed that she was a fantastic singer or whether she did this entirely as a huge. Joke on herself and its publicity stunt. What she interesting. Wear on. on the one hand, she compared herself favorably with fellow sopranos and seemed oblivious to the abundant audience laughter during her performances. Mm. Her loyal friends endeavored to disguise the laughter with cheers and applause. They often described her technique to curious inquirers in quote intentionally ambiguous terms. For example, her singing at its finest suggests the untraveled swoop of some great bird. I don't know. Some great bird. Favorable articles and bland reviews published in specialty music publications were most likely written by her friends or herself. Oh, dear. We would say that she maybe didn't know how badly she sang, says mezzo-soprano Marilyn Horne. However... Nerve damage due to syphilis and its treatment may have physically compromised her hearing as well so oh dear. back in the day, as you can probably imagine our treatment the treatment of syphilis was not as it is today, so mm. someone Jenkins 's performance difficulties may have been attributed to untreated syphilis, which may have been compounded by toxic side effects such as hearing loss from mercury and arsenic, which were the prevailing treatments at the time.
1: Oh my gosh
0: so it, it is, you need to bear this in mind that it was, there was quite a possibility that she simply did not know that she yeah, she, I can see that now because it could have compromised her hearing. On the other hand, Jenkins refused to open her performances to the general public and was clearly aware of her detractors. Now, I love this, and this is what I this quote I believe here gives her a free pass into the wicked hall of fame. People may say I can't sing, she once remarked to a <laughs> friend, but no one can ever say I didn't sing, <laughs> and I like that.
1: Oh, my God. I
0: like that a lot. Back to tragic, she dismissed her original... That's tragic. <laughs> she, she dismissed her original accompanist, Edwin MacArthur, after catching him giving her audience a knowing smile during performances. What happened to McMoon? So, McMoon came along after. So, her original yeah. accompanist was sacked off because he was giving a knowing smile. A knowing smile, exactly. Hi, dare? she went to great lengths to control access to her private recitals which took place at her apartment in small clubs and each october in verdi club's annual ball of the silver skylarks
1: oh my god
0: which a, is a swooping plug- bird no less <laughs> which is a place that i want to go to uh attendance by personal invitation only was restricted to her loyal club women and a select few others mm. jenkins handled distribution of the coveted tickets herself carefully excluding strangers particularly music critics. Yeah. So there is no way that she could have not known, says a close friend. No one is that unaware. She loved the audience reaction. She loved singing, but she knew. Oh, it's tragic, though. It, 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 I know. It builds up a certain sense of like, I mean, there's a lot of little, you know, ha-ha funnies, but I'm out to defend Florence. Yeah,
1: here. no, me too. I, I, I think that she's just, no one can say she didn't sing. Mm. Well, a, a lot of
0: people did because, uh, <laughs> as we'll see, Despite her careful efforts to insulate her singing from public exposure, a preponderance of contemporaneous opinion favoured the view that Jenkins' self-delusion was genuine. That's a quote.
1: Good Lord, who wrote that? It's <laughs> a
0: quote. So, uh, more tragedy. At that time, Frank Sinatra had started to sing, and teenagers used to faint during his notes and scream. McMoon told an interviewer. So she thought she was producing the same kind of effect. So when she saw Sinatra singing and people like, you know, throwing things at him, you know, <laughs> where people usually threw pants at him, but they would throw fruit Indeed. tomatoes at her. Oh. So I think she maybe just thought, well, you know, it's the same kind of reaction. As an anonymous obituary writer later put it, her ears heard only the radiant tones which never issued forth to quell the mirth of her audiences. Gosh, yeah. So, like, she only heard the song that she wasn't singing. It's all a bit tragic. This again, I brought this to you as like
1: a little, you know, a little. We are sort of a dog of war, yeah, (laughs) and a a lady of and Mad Jack Churchill as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So She performed various songs Complete with castanets And a wicker basket of flowers Clicking the castanets And tossing the flowers One by one When she ran out of flowers She flung the basket too And then the castanets Into the audience Her fans Aware that this was Her favourite song to perform Would usually demand an encore Prompting her to send McMoon into the audience To retrieve flowers Basket and castanets So she could do it again like So areas. poor McMoon goes down. <laughs> Excuse me Could we have The flowers please?
1: <laughs> I think you have My castanets <laughs>
0: Yeah, in in, in lighter news. Once, when a taxi in which she was riding collided with another car, Jenkins let out a high pitched scream. Upon arriving home, she went immediately to her piano and confirmed, brackets, at least to herself, sass, (laughs) that the note she had screamed was the fabled F above high C. Oh, my word. A pitch she had never before been able to reach. Overjoyed, she refused to press charges against either involved party and even sent the taxi driver a box of expensive cigars. Oh, my God. Or you're a music man. F above high C. What does that mean? That's high. Is that high? That's very high. McMoon coming back again, being a little rat. McMoon said neither he, quote, nor anyone else ever actually heard her actually sing high F, however... I'd like to this McMoon fella a piece of my mind, honestly. Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: At the age of 76, Jenkins finally yielded to public demand and booked Carnegie Hall for a general admission performance that took place on October 25th, 1944. Oh, wow. Tickets for the event sold out weeks in advance. The demand was such that an estimated 2,000 people were turned away at the door of a 2,800-seat venue. So d- double booked. McMoon later recalled an especially noteworthy moment she put her hands righteously to her hips and went into a circular dance that was the most ludicrous thing I have ever seen and created a pandemonium in the place. One famous actress had to be carried out of her box because she became so hysterical.
1: Oh my God. So,
0: I mean, again, this was 1944. So when a lady rotated her hips, this caused, quote, pandemonium. But I quite like her because she was challenging stereotypes at the time, which, which which we all appreciate. Back to tragedy. Since ticket distribution was out of Jenkins' control for the first time, mockers, scoffers, and critics could no longer be kept at bay. The following morning's newspapers were filled with scathing, sarcastic reviews that devastated Jenkins. Oh, no. Mrs. Jenkins has a great voice, wrote the New York song critic. In fact, she can sing everything except notes. Oh! Much of her singing was... That's ho- also rubbish. Well, uh, yes. The New York Post was even less charitable. Lady Florence indulged last night in one of the weirdest mass jokes New York has ever seen. Wow. I mean, God. Five days after the concert, Jenkins suffered a heart attack while shopping at a music store and oh died, died a month later, November 26th, 1944, at her Manhattan residence. So five days after selling out Carnegie Hall and then reading horrible reviews after, she had a heart attack. And I think...
1: It's just, just it's, a bit too
0: close, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, like, I think she went her whole life curating her audience. And then in her final, final days, she opened it up to the grand public. And, like, probably her last thought before she died was how people thought of her as a bit of a stock. Which is quite sad, really. I think certain people are a bit too pure for this world, I think. And I think that Florence be yeah. one of them.
1: Old FFJ. Yeah. So yeah, you know that's that's
0: about that's about all I have for you from Miss Florence Foster Jenkins. So if you had to sum up your feelings towards Miss Jenkins.
1: Well look, I would say that I don't I don't have sympathy for. Her. What? I dunno. Really? You know, she was a wealthy heiress who inherited a load of money. Okay. Yeah. Who didn't sing well, had a load of members' clubs, avoided criticism. It's not the attributes I look for in a person, Rob.
0: Uh, you raise a good point, which is that if she was working class
1: she'd have been binned.
0: yeah yeah she would have been looked down upon not in a humorous mm-hmm. let's get her on stage way it would
1: have been a humorous let's keep her out of society way exactly <laughs> it would have fallen flat <laughs> see I'm I'm, keep, I'm keeping you sharp e rub I'm very crotchety about that Eeyore um, so <laughs> that's wavering so thanks
0: very much for <laughs> listening Eeyore
1: yeah <laughs> No, that was a pleasure. So we've gone from Jack Churchill and his magic flute to Florence Foster Jenkins with her magic flute. Not quite.
0: <laughs> Thank
1: you for tuning in
0: to another episode.
1: If you want to listen more, you can get your dose of Wicked anywhere you get your podcasts or on wicked.simplecast.com. That's w-i-k-i-d.simplecast.com.
0: If you want to get in touch with us, don't hesitate to direct your email towards wickedpodcast at gmail.com or at wickedpod on Twitter. Until next time, stay wicked.
1: What does that mean again?
0: I don't know.